Thank you, gentlemen. Church, take your Bible, your copy of God's Word, and turn to the book of Exodus. Book of Exodus. If you're visiting with us, again, another warm welcome to you. And if you're looking for a copy of God's Word, just look in front of you, the rack that's in front of you. You'll see one there. You can follow along with that. The second book, the 21st chapter, Exodus chapter 21. That is where we are. Well, Westmont, we are now fully immersed into the finer details of case law as given to Moses. Last week, we began this portion of the law dealing with justice. You remember that, justice. You recall from verses 12 through to verses 17, we observed capital justice. You remember that. Four specific cases in those verses, remember, all warranting a penalty of death. Again, that is, when we think about those cases, think with me again, that's a capital sentence, capital punishment, which means, of course, the loss of life. That was due justice for the offenses we looked at, which were, which were this, murder, striking, cursing father and mother, and stealing fellow human beings. You recall that. The capital justice due there demonstrated the weight of God's law toward, to this end, protecting and valuing human life, image bearers of God, and honoring parents. Then we looked at verses 18 through 27. And the principle there for common justice which was, look at verse 23, but if there's harm, then you shall pay life for life. Remember that? Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Emphatically clear the principle of eye for an eye. And remember, in God's law, eye for an eye means the punishment always fits the crime. In God's law. It is always proportionate to the crime. That is, the punishment is just and appropriate. Remember, if you will, last week, the wicked slave owner who destroyed his slave's eye. You remember him. He doesn't just lose his own eye. No, that would not be true justice. Because why? He doesn't know how to treat another human being. No, true justice deems That he doesn't lose his eye, he actually loses the slave entirely. The slave goes free. In ancient Israel, that was common, true justice for God's people. Now we saw a number of specific cases where that justice was applied. We left off at verse 27 last week, if you recall, and now we're just going to pick it back up in verse 28. So let's begin by reading this next section where we'll begin today, starting in verse 28. Again, we're just going to read the first part. We'll be working through a larger part, but this is where we left off. When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten. But the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has been warned but not, has not kept it in and it kills a man or a woman. The ox shall be stoned and its owner shall also be put to death. If a ransom is imposed on him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed on him. If it gores a man or a son or daughter, he shall be dealt with according to this same rule. If the ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver... And the ox shall be stoned. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we look at this text and ask you to give us eyes to see it. Illuminate our eyes to see the wondrous things you have for us in your law. Let us receive it with understanding. And of course, as we leave later, let us walk out in light of this text, giving you glory in every facet of our life, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We'll actually, God willing, we stop there because this is a longer account, we'll, God willing, be studying well into the 22nd chapter up to verse 15. 
But we'll read those specific cases as we go. So let's return to our text. We were in common justice. Look at verses 20 to 32. That's where we are. These five verses, starting in verse 28, actually deal with the implications of one case. So we're going to look at one case and everything that flows out of it. And it is this. This is the case. An ox gores a man or woman to death. That's the case. Now notice, firstly, I want you to look at this, that the offense, the death, now comes by way of an animal. You see that? This is now by way of an animal. It's no longer human to human. In this case, it's animal to human. And by way of the ox, an ancient agrarian society would have valued the ox, a precious commodity, in fact, not only valued, but very common, and especially as the Israelites would soon migrate into the promised land. Well, decades later, as it would turn out, but this would be very important, very important to their livelihood, the ox. So it was a very common animal. Now, oxen, as common as they were and as big as they were, and even as you see pictures of them with their horns and such, Right? They were not known for going after people, or certainly not goring them. That was very rare, and you need to keep that in mind with this case law. That was rare. However, it did happen, and when it did, if you track here, common sense, let alone common justice, would have been prescribed for Israel. Look again at verse 28. When an ox scores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned, and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. That that I, I would submit to you, beloved, that should be just very logical, that that would be the outcome of such a case. This deadly ox, no longer just an ox, a deadly ox was stoned, he was killed, and more, the flesh was not to be eaten, that ox had to be put down. Who knows what disease plagued it, and we know what it's capable of doing, so we put it down, and you don't eat the flesh, very simple. Now, the ox owner is not liable in this case. That means not responsible for what has happened. Again, ox goring was uncommon. And when we say not responsible, beyond what's prescribed here. He loses the livelihood of an ox and no flesh to eat from the meat. I mean, that's significant, but beyond that, he's not liable. The ox would have been a huge farm asset, and that's now lost. And again, losing the meat to eat with it. And that was, we would say this, just prescription, a just and right prescription for an ox owner, and here it is, that had no idea that his ox was wild. How could he know? This is the first time it's ever happened. How could he know? Yet, do you see the law, how it can be extensive in times like this? What of the owner that did have an idea that his ox was not tame? What of that guy? He knew his ox had an aggression issue. What of the owner that knew that his ox not only was aggressive, but maybe it had caused injury before? Good question. And verse 29 deals with that. Look at verse 29. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and its owner has been warned, but has not kept it in, and it kills a man or woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner also shall be put to death. So, so we're clear on the context here. Injury, not death prior. There's been something that's happened That someone or some people have said, hey, hey, wait a minute, you've got a wild ox there. So he's been given the heads up. Well, in this case, if he knew that and was warned, this is what we refer to as negligence. Right? This is negligence. This is an owner with knowledge of his wild ox, yet not acting on that knowledge. Right? That's negligent. And here again, beloved, we need to see the principles of God's law, how they trickle down into the law of the land today. In fact, we have laws and they're called what? Criminal negligence. Flowing from the very heart of God to say, you knew, you had knowledge, you knew the potential for life being taken was there, and you did nothing of it. Hence, you're culpable, you're criminally responsible. In fact, the law basically says, then and now, you are responsible for your irresponsibility. You're you're negligent. And here, as you can see, the punishment fits the crime. For negligence, and, and think of this, the owner would have known death could be possible with this wild ox, so since you did nothing of it, and now someone has lost their life, owner, you lose your life. It warns death. The owner may not have intended death, but he could have prevented death. That's key. And that is criminal negligence 
under the law of God. Now, I trust we all would understand under the law how that is fair and just. Yet, that is not the end of this case. It's not the end of this specific case. We keep going. The punishment of death is indeed deserved in this case, but it need not end like that. Remember, the law of God, what does it do? The law of God reflects what? The character of God. The law of God reflects the character of God. And our God is not only a God of justice. He is fully, completely, but he's also a God of what? Mercy. He's a God of mercy. And we should not be surprised if you know your God, you wouldn't be surprised to see mercy in this law, with this law. Look at verse 30. If, so now we have a subsidiary case, if a ransom is imposed on him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed on him. If it gores a man's son or daughter, he shall be dealt with according to the same rule. I want you to note the language. Look at verse 30 in particular. Look at it. Life can be spared here under God's law, and it's by way of, note this, purchase. The mechanism of purchase. More, look at the word there, ransom. Ransom becomes a very important word later in the Bible. Remember, a few weeks ago, David took us through this. Very good. It means a life price. You have to kind of get many of your Hollywood connotations of kidnapping and ransom out of your mind, really. Biblically, we're talking about a life price. If a ransom is imposed, so... Ransom's not a necessity. Note this in the law. It's not a necessity, but with the law and the character of God, it is a probability with the law. And ransom would be a redemption price. Look at that. A redemption price for the offender. So important to see these themes. Not just buried in Mosaic law. They become a huge part of the Bible as you keep reading it. And Westman, as we've been learning in our foundations of the faith class what do we know when we look at this would seem a a corner and recess of mosaic law let us not miss every inspired word here do you see that every word god breathed and inspired ransom and redemption this is not the price of a fine this is not he just pays a fine and all is good as if like all fines suggest even to today like fines suggest a lesser offense This is still a life price in the wake of death deserved. Do you see that? This is a redemption price. In other words, a payment and a price for life. That's what this is. Instead of the offender losing life, this payment, and note it, under the law, can be lawfully made. This is amazing. Do you see this? That is the justice and mercy of God under the law in concert here. Do you see that? So good. This is justice not to overlook the offense, but mercy to spare life in light of it. And Christian, if that sounds familiar, that is because that is what we see when we survey the cross. Is that not true? That's what we see when we survey the cross. The justice demanded for our sin, yet the mercy extended, meeting at the cross. We deserve death for our law-breaking like the owner here. Legally, we deserve death. However, we receive mercy by way of ransom, by way of a redemption price, which is, of course, the Lamb of God. Yes, Jesus paid that ransom, that redemption price, as we just sang. He paid all of it. Yes, the law, as we've seen and will see, points toward this fulfillment, this fusion of justice and mercy under God's law, meeting at the cross. So good. The greater law of God demand, if we could say it that way for us, church, fulfilled perfectly in the Christ. And in Christ, our ransom was not just a possibility. Grab this. In Christ, our ransom was not just possible in the law, not just a possibility under the law, but it was the very plan of God. The very plan of God. Christian, before the foundation of the world, before you were born, long before you were born, you were chosen for ransom in Christ, Ephesians 1. 
the Father's plan and the Son's payment. The blood of Jesus was your ransom. The blood of the Christ was your redemption. That's justice and mercy at the cross. And if there is any doubt about what this law is pointing toward, I want you to see this. Oh, how we love God's word. If there was ever a doubt, look at the redemption price in verse 32. If the ox scores a slave, note that, a slave, male or female, the owner shall give to their master what? 30 shekels of silver. And the ox shall be stoned. For some of you, realize I've heard of 30 pieces of silver before. That rings a bell, and so it should. Which is, we look at the redemption price is set for the loss of a slave. Or, to maybe cue it another way, a bondservant. Maybe, which is a redemption price of 30 shekels of silver. And that was the rate, by the way, for slaves back then. That was the going rate. Now, why is that important to note here? A seemingly minute law detail in the corner of Exodus. Well, Zechariah 11, note it. Zechariah 11 tells us that 30 shekels silver was what unfaithful Israel deemed. Note this. Unfaithful Israel esteems as the value price of a shepherd, Zechariah, the shepherd of a flock doomed to slaughter. That's what the people say. That's what he's worth. He's worth 30 pieces of silver. That's it. And you also know that 30 pieces of silver was the the price also given to who? Judas. Judas for the betrayal of the shepherd. And note that 30 pieces applied to slaves and shepherds Then later, the same amount applied to the life of our Savior. Yes, taking the form of a slave, Philippians 2. He was our ransom. Christian, tucked away again in the far corners of Exodus case law, every word inspired, is this law of redemption. Do you see it? This law of redemption. Don't neglect your Old Testament. Don't neglect any single word of it. We need to move on, church, into another branch of justice under the law here, and that is restitution. Restitution. Specifically, common restitution in ancient Israel. I want you to think for a moment of that term restitution. That will have the bulk of our time for what's left. The term restitution is going to appear at least six times in the next section, up to the middle of the next chapter. In fact, if we consider the concept of restitution with similar words like restoration, it appears even more with various detail. Restitution means in one sense this, to repay or to restore. That definitely is a sense. And in the original language here, when you see restitution, it means this, to make whole, to make complete. You see that? To make whole, that's so important. And that right understanding here will become clear as we look at these. And a note on these next several cases, you see them unfold one after another. We will move with pace here. There's no need to linger, they're very straightforward, so we'll move a little quicker. Again, very, very clear. Let's look at the first one. Look at verse 33 with me. When a man opens a pit, or when a man digs a pit... And does not cover it, and an ox or donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to its owner, and the dead beast shall be his. Here, you look at this case, a man has an open pit on his property, maybe near the edge of it, quite likely. These pits would have been used for storage, either grain or at times often water in these pits. These subterranean caverns, these pits often had, they had a very narrow opening at the top that led down to a wider cavity so they could store a lot of goods. Now like holes often do, and I would submit like holes should do in the ground, they they need to be covered up. Think of manholes, that's why we have manhole covers, right? To protect holes in the ground. Because if you don't, they cause a hazard to the one passing by. It's logical. In this case, the passerby would often be neighboring animals, remember, close fields. They didn't have the sense that human walkers would, and they would just keep on trotting and, of course, fall into the hole. They would miss it. Thus, it was the responsibility of property owners to cover those openings, 
cover the holes. And this was often done with a flat stone slab. They would just lay it on top of the, the hole so passing animals could walk over it. You see, that would make sense. That's at the very least a courtesy, if not a responsibility. Now, I want you to think with me. You can imagine a scenario after a long, hard day. The field owner, he's worked. He's obviously probably pulled stuff out of that hole. It's a long, hard day. And whether through forgetfulness or laziness, an owner fails to cover that hole. You can imagine that, right? And inevitably, in darker hours, a neighboring animal wanders into his fields. And what happens? He falls down. And the law says in verse 34 that the owner needs to, note the word, restore this situation. And the restoration, the restitution is this. Look at it. He buys the animal. It's like he buys that ox or that donkey. The animal owner, the one who owned it, the neighbor, is now out an animal. And the whole owner, think about this. This makes the situation complete. It's like he buys the animal to make it right. To make it right. This principle has always been lawful, but of course today we take it to extremes and we have people that literally have uh, their livelihood and vocations and professions around the concept of liability. We have massive insurance claims and waivers all around liability, what you're liable to, who's responsible, things that happen on your ground and what you're liable to. Again, what do we do with the law of God? We pervert it. And we take it to places it was never intended to be. But in concept, liability is important because we all are responsible for our actions and our property. Yet outside of such excess, we recognize the lawful principle of restoration. Don't lose that, beloved. The lawful principle of restoration. And hold on to that as you consider the next case. Look at verse 35. When one man's ox butts another's so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and share its price, and the dead beast also they shall share. Or, if it is known that the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and its owner has not kept it in, he shall pay ox for ox, and the dead beast shall be his. I pray at this point, as, as we're moving swiftly through the law, you're starting to see things click. I'm seeing the same principles. I'm seeing the same justice. I hope you're saying that at this point. Before, of course, as we look at the connectivity here, we had the unusual case of an ox goring a human being. Here, we have the case of an ox butting or goring another man's ox so that it dies. Similar judgment here, if the ox had no prior offenses, then the two owners split two things, the profits of the live ox and the meat of the dead ox. That, that's lawful and just. It's, it, it makes the situation complete. It's fair. Again, with no history of this sort of thing in the offending ox. Yet again, there could be a situation where there was a knowledge of this ox and it was accustomed to this kind of behavior. So in this case, again, the owner is what? Negligent. He's negligent. He knew this was possible. And in that case, the negligent owner gives up his ox for the dead one. Do you see that? It's just a switch. If you're negligent, you lose your ox completely, even though it's the one still alive. You receive the dead one. Thus, fair compensation. The situation is made whole. As chapter 22 opens, we move now from negligence to theft. Look at verse 1. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall pay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun is risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. The stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep. He shall pay double. Here, I want you to look at this case now, again, over a few verses. This is a case of animal theft. And the outcomes, do you see it, are broken down for us. The thief is caught well after the fact. Maybe at the market, right? He's caught later. You can imagine this. And there he pops up at the market with the animal. He's killed it. He's trying to sell it. And look at verse 1. It says that. In this case, upon being caught, he needs to repay ox five to one and sheep four to one. And maybe some of you are sheep lovers here and you declare inequality. 
for the sheep, right? That's the order of the day, right? It's just not fair. It's got to be an equal measure. That's all you hear today. Everything must be equal. Well, listen, it wouldn't be fair. The sheep doesn't provide the livelihood that the ox does. It's just not fair. You know, the funny thing is we, we submit to this economy all the time with our goods. I'm quite sure you didn't pay for your stick of butter the price you paid for the car. And if you did, then there's other issues there <laughs> need to talk about. We don't do these things, right? And, 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 and beloved, I'm, I'm pausing for a moment because we need to be very careful the moment we want to throw up inequality in a situation. We don't operate that way. Life is not like that. And here we see in the law of God, sheep for sheep, four to one, is fair because a sheep's not an ox. And an ox is not a sheep. It's the way God designed it. And it's fair. It's absolutely fair. Secondly, the thief is caught in the act in verse 2. Look at it. He's breaking in by night. And how do we know it's by night? We keep reading. Verse 3 actually tells us the next scenario will be sunrise. So that's how we know. We look at things in context. So this one is at night. We know that thieves, and this is, of course, still true today, and it always has been, thieves look for the cover of night to perpetrate their evil. And in this case, the motive and intent is clear. This is not a house call, right? This is not a house call in the middle of the night. So in this case of evil at night, where the owner strikes the thief so that he dies, in this clear case, look at it, there's no blood guilt on the animal owner. He's not on the hook for that death. No, the animal owner is not guilty of bloodshed. He was only protecting. And think about this, protecting in an environment that he couldn't see and he didn't know. He had no clue. And consider at night with no clue what harm he is hearing in the darkness. Someone may be just trying to steal the animal, but he has no idea. He thinks of his wife and his children and his slaves and his household. He has no clue. And you can't fault him for just protecting his home. Man, I don't know if some of you are fathers or husbands like me. You have the baseball bat beside your bed, right? Not that that's going to do much, but you have it there, right? Because if you hear noises at night, what are you going to do, men? You grab that and you're going to go see what the noise is. Now, I don't know about you, and I hope this never happens to me or you. I don't know about you, but if I hear noises in the dark, I'm swinging and not thinking about it, right? <laughs> But I illustrate this point. We do that to protect our families, right? But I want you to see this. This is not just a thing that we would do. That makes sense under the law. You can't expect the homeowner to assess a situation. He says, I need to protect my home and my family. And it's dark and I have no idea what the threat is. Where milliseconds could cost all of you your life. That's what God is saying here. If it happens at night, there's no guilt on the one that killed. He's just protecting his home. I hope that makes sense. So too here, the law protects those protecting their property. So there's no guilt. Again, we need to point out how we see this principle in modern law. And here's another one. It's often termed justifiable homicide or even at times self-defense. That is first God's law. Do you see that? That principle that we're thankful for in our justice system comes from God's law. Thirdly, the thief is caught in the act, verse 3, but now it's sunrise and daylight, so he's got eyes wide open. He can see what's going on. In this case, in daylight, full intent still may not be as clear, but the owner can see, and that's very important. Everything is in the open. There's less hidden threat to the owner thus a strike to kill i think we all would agree that would be excessive subdue yell for help it's the middle of the day do that but no excessive strikes to kill and in fact excessive striking in that especially if it's just a theft if it is just a petty thief foolishly stealing in the day and you kill him the owner would then justly have blood guilt on him The punishment does not fit the crime in that sense. He too then would be guilty of crime. And by the way, we have to keep pointing this out. Note that Yahweh's mercy and protection on the thief. Do you see that? Don't miss this. What kind of law gives this kind of right and protection to another image bearer? Even though in one sense carrying out evil, Yahweh says there still is a law for this thief. 
You don't kill him for stealing goods. That's Yahweh. The thief still pays, by the way. Look at the end of verse 3. And if he can't pay, he becomes a slave. So there's justice for the thief, but you don't kill him. For the thief that's caught later, think of this now case, but this time he's caught later with the stolen animal alive. Look at verse 4. He has not killed it yet or sold it yet, so he's just freshly caught. He hasn't been able to make a profit for himself. There hasn't been a lot of loss for the animal owner yet. In this case, remember, he paid four times or five times the amount for restitution if it was further down and profit was made and profit was lost. But here in this case of still possessing the animal alive, it's repaid with another. Do you see that? Restitution here is double. The animal restored and then another is given for time lost. Here, the restitution fits the crime. It makes the situation what? Whole. Whole. Now, at this point, you may be thinking, amid the various repayment scenarios for the thief here, and I, and I believe, as we're always looking to apply the Word of God, thinking, well, this is great and it makes sense in ancient Israel, but what about 2021? You'd say, I'm looking at a text and a whole bunch of restitution numbers, double, four times, five times. What of our restitution today? Is there a principle here? And that's a great question as you interact with the Word of God. And maybe you hear fourfold and you think of the New Testament. And I know there is a particular man that comes to mind when you think of a fourfold restitution. A little man, of course, Zacchaeus in Luke 19. His account is documented in verses 1 through 10. His story, of course, ends with an infamous four times repayment. Remember, a, a, a swindling tax collector, presumably, saved, convicted, gives back and gives restitution. We know that. But a couple things to comment on, not only in light of the Zacchaeus account, but in light of all of God's words. So let me just say a few things here. Number one, Zacchaeus' situation is an account. It's not a prescription. I think, ladies, you've been looking at some of this in the ladies' study. This is an account of Zacchaeus. There's no prescription, right, from uh, the text that says every Christian from now on must give back fourfold. It doesn't say that. Fourfold for Zacchaeus in the first century in his situation fit the crime. Fourfold fit the crime for Zacchaeus. Secondly, the repayment numbers, as you look at them here, and I think this is obvious even as you look at Exodus, it's not a one-size-fits-all, is it? It isn't even one-size-fits-all here in Exodus. In fact, the repayment numbers, the restitution numbers, vary by situation. And we see that. Thirdly, I want you to compare to just another genre in Scripture, wisdom literature. Take Proverbs, for example. If we were to go with just fourfold or just double, well, wisdom literature, Proverbs 6.31, says a thief must repay sevenfold. And again, that's, that's wisdom. But the point here is this, that restitution is relative. There cannot be a manual for every possible occurrence of restitution, and I think we get that. All right, we would continue in verse 5 and consider the next case law. Case law with restitution. Look at verse 5 with me. If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over or lets his beast loose and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best in his own field and in his own vineyard. Simply, if a man lets his animal loose and it grazes over, see, eats, another's field then that irresponsible owner must make restitution, look at this, from his own field. From his own field. And note verse 5, look at it. Not just repaying with any replacement produce, but, but what? His best. He's got to give his best. The offending owner doesn't get to pick through his goods and, and give up the so-so. Can you just see that scenario? Well, I'm going to give him the bottom of the barrel stuff. No, left without law, beloved, do you see this? Left without law, that's what we do. Is that not true? Left without law, and I would submit to you, left without the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, with a beating heart for God and what is fair and what is loving, we give the so-so. Just pick through and, yes, okay, I'll make restitution, but you can have this stuff. You can have that that's not the way it works in God's law. Always keeping the best, in a sense, for what is right. And here, as restitution, under God, God says, you repay with the best. 
Yes, even if your animal ate the so-so, can you just imagine saying, well, well, he grazed over that field, but it was so-so crops. How am I going to give best? No, 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 no. Under God, it's integrity. Under God, it is generous restoration that, again, makes the situation whole and complete. Similarly, we come to the case in verse 6. Look at verse 6. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. No accident here, by the way, when you look at a fire starter, just to give you some context, fires were started, as they are today in some areas of the globe, especially with agriculture, they're started to clear the land. So these are fires that would have been common to just clear swaths of land. And in this case, the fire that started, it gets out of control and it spreads to the neighbor's property. And what does it do? It destroys. It's not clearing land there, it's destroying property. Whether it is the harvested stuff, look at the text, stacked grain, or the field itself, right, being consumed, whatever the good, there is loss to your neighbor. And that's the key here. At this point in the law, no specific measure is needed. Just a reminder, look at the end of verse 6. The fire starter shall make full restitution. And that's clear at this point in the law. That is, remember, the offender shall make this right. The offender shall make the situation whole and complete. Under the law, and I think we're tracking with this, the offender makes this situation what it needs to be. Fair, equitable, eye for eye, wholeness, completeness. That's what he must do under the law. He shall make restitution that fits the crime. Our next case is found in verses 7 through 9. Look at them with me. If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe and it is stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, the owner of the house shall come near to God to show whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. For every breach of trust, whether it is for an ox, for a donkey, for a sheep, for a cloak, or for any kind of lost thing of which one says, this is it, the case of both parties shall come before God. The one whom God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. In the ancient Near East, homes didn't have locks or alarm systems, right, that they do today. Communities were wide open. That's the way communities were. As verse 7 says, look at it, they would leave money or goods with neighbor to keep them safe. Now, leaving them with a neighbor was no guarantee they'd be safe, so presumably they're going out on an errand somewhere, out of town, whatever it would be. And that was still no guarantee that they would be safe in an open community, but it is better than just leaving them in a vacated home. And hence, the following scenarios outlined by the law if they became stolen. Let's look at them. Number one, the thief, and presumably the goods, when they're stolen, are found. Look at verse 7. So if the thief and goods are found, then the thief pays double. This makes sense, right? Remember verse 4. Thief is found. Pays double, makes complete sense. Secondly, the thief is not immediately found. Look at verse 8. In this very awkward but very real situation, the goods are gone, but there's no identification of the thief. Very awkward, you can imagine, for these two neighbors, right? So how is the situation resolved? Well, verse 8 describes a process whereby the homeowner, we'll call him the trustee, comes near to God. Do you see that in the text? He comes near to God. This would be akin to an oath. He's going to make an oath before God. Again, in the time when oaths meant something. So listen to it outlined later, by the way, in this economy of the ancient Near East. King Solomon, by the way, the man that was given wisdom by God, outlines this process. You can just note this, 1 Kings 8. Let me read this to you, 31-32. This is in the middle of a prayer he's giving to Yahweh. He says, if a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath and comes and swears his oath before your altar in this house, then hear in heaven and act and judge your servants, condemning the guilty by bringing his conduct on his own head. You see that? And vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. This is a prayer to a sovereign God that can do anything. That can bring justice to light that can bring condemnation on the evil and righteousness on the just. And and why Solomon knows that. 
Said another way, Numbers 32.23, by the way, also in the law, the Pentateuch says this, be sure your sin will find you out. And we know this principle, right? A sovereign God in his perfect plan and power roots it out. And you can imagine that here. After the trustee appears before God, then verse 9 says, both parties shall come. In the end, the thief will be found out. And listen, whether it's overcome with guilt in that moment, or by providence, the thief will be found out. And when they are revealed, when the culprits revealed, they then, verse 9, pay the restitution double to make it complete. They come before the Lord under oath, under his sovereign power, and they make it complete. Now, that is theft. However, we look at another situation where harm can come another way. Look at verse 10. If a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep safe and it dies or is injured, is driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath by the Lord shall be between them both to see whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. The owner shall accept the oath and he shall not make restitution. But if it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. If it is torn by beasts, let him bring it as evidence. He shall not make restitution for what has been torn. So consider here in this scenario the same borrowed goods situation as before, but here specified now as animals. And as happens to animals, and we understand this here in this case, they get injured, they wander off, or they can just die. Now notice it's not just a recount of what happened when the owner returns. Look at that. Look at verse 11. Again, an oath before Yahweh is given by the trustee, and here it is, that it was natural. Whatever happened, neighbor, to your animal, I'm here to say by oath, it was natural. It was a natural event. They got injured. They just passed away. It was natural. That's the oath. The neighbor swears that oath, and then there's nothing more to it. No restitution, right? And that makes sense. However, you're probably thinking, how can you trust one another that it's that, right? Again, this is on under a sovereign God, omnipotent God. But imagine the trust fostered in that community. It's not just happening on one end, it's happening on both ends. What a community that would foster. So we keep going, and we think of oaths before God Almighty, and their potency, especially back then. Now, naturally, dying naturally, injured naturally is one way the owner's goods can be harmed, but it's not the only way. Look at verse 12. And again, let's not miss this. The neighbor confesses to the theft, maybe by way of guilt or providence. He says, I give up. I say, uncle, yeah, I did it. I must admit I did it. I did it. And the prompt for confession was what? Look at it again. Coming before the Lord. Coming before the Lord, beloved, I I must pause. And this is potent application for us. Different administration, different dispensation, different time. But the mechanism for purity among God's people is the same. Reason number 137 why we need to gather. To be pure in our relationships. Do you see this? You came before the Lord this morning. You sang Lungs and heart, you broke bread and you said as you examined yourself, I'm good with these people. I'm good with them. Do you see the purification of God's people? This is your God. And it's so encouraging to know these mechanisms in the economy of God never change. Come before the Lord. Come before the Lord. And watch what he does to relationships in community fostered this way. Come before the Lord, be laid bare, but be made right, and get up again by His grace. By the way, we don't leave this scenario with one more possible outcome in verse 13. The owner bringing evidence of the animal being destroyed, look at it, graphically, torn by beasts. In this case, no restitution is necessary. This was a natural course of events. As any nature show would demonstrate, this is the way that it happens. This is what happens naturally, and there's no restitution needed. Final couple case laws in this section here rooted in the same scenario. Let's look at them as we close. Verse 14. If a man borrows anything of his neighbor and it's injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. If the owner was with it, he shall not make restitution. If it was hired, it came for its hiring fee. 
So we have two cases here. Case one, an article is borrowed. And by the way, you see it there, it could be anything. And here's the thing. The owner wasn't there when it was borrowed. It wasn't there. So he borrowed it from neighbor, went away. And in that case, the borrower must make full restitution if something happens as he's taken it away and on his watch. Right? That's fair enough and that's obvious. Think about this. If I was to borrow something from one of you and I take it away to my house and I break it, I replace it. We get that. It's very logical. Case number two, verse 15. If the owner was there, then it is no longer borrowing, is it? So the owner's right there. It's not borrowing. And more, the owner was not only there, but look at the text. It tells us that there was a payment made. In verse 15, it was called a hiring fee. As such, the user pays nothing more. No restitution needed. A fee's been paid and the owner is there. Presumably, in this arrangement, the risk of harm or injury was just understood. And we get that too. It's just understood. Again, restitution is appropriate to the situation, to the offense. Many cases, of course, that we continue to look at and we'll see more, but we need to stop there for this week. But I I promised as we are wrapping this section to return to Jesus as we close. And we need to do that because Jesus expounded on the law. He fulfilled the law, but as the great teacher, he expounded on it. So once again, let's turn to Matthew 5. Matthew 5 for the whole complete look at the law. Matthew 5. Remember, this is in verse 38. The section within the Sermon on the Mount where he's talking about retaliation. Remember, we talked much about this last week, but so much Jesus is teaching his disciples here in this exposition of the law. We only read a few verses last week when we close. I'm going to read the entire section this morning, starting in verse 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, Do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile with him, go go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. I want you to look at those verses again. Did you notice... That there's no restitution formula or measure there. Do you see that? There's none. There's nothing that sounds like this. If anyone takes your tunic, he, the offenders, to give you two tunics back is repayment. Do you see that? That's not in this exposition of the law. No, in fact, just the opposite. Is that not true? The measure is given by way of the one offended. Again, I want you to remember, Jesus' focus on this section in the Sermon on the Mount is on the offended. It's not on the offender. Remember, he's talking to his disciples. It's not if, when, one, when one does this to you. Jesus is not concerned with restitution. Why? That would be the question. Because here, again, he's talking to those that have already been purchased. Do you see that? The redeemed. And when it comes to true restitution, the reality is, under the law, it is paid. It's complete. Christian, you've been made whole, right? No restitution. Yes, our sins are an offense, a grievous offense before God alone. Psalm 51. And we fall short, all of us, every single one of us, fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3. Yes, we, we can't bridge that gap or make it right, let alone restitution. Think about that. We, none of those things are in our power. But Christ, the Christ, can and does. He bridges the gap. He makes it right. And so, and thus, He is our restitution. Do you see that? Christ, and we are in Him. In Him alone, we are made whole with God. In Him, we are reconciled back to the Father and we receive wholeness and completeness. We are restored and our restitution complete. We have nothing we can possibly offer up to make it right. Only faith in Christ, and by the way, that's given to us too. He has to give us that faith. We can't muster anything up on our own. And of course, more than our sins, 
And through his restitution is this. What have we been tracking in this law of justice? Is the mercy of God. Mercy of God. More than tunics, certainly more than oxen, shekels, goods, homes, more than anything, beloved, listen, more than anything that could ever be taken from you, and especially in the months and years to come. More than any of those things that will be stripped from you, beloved, remember the one thing that has been given to you, even when you're offended. Cannot be taken, and it's yours forever. And I pray it's yours that you now distribute liberally to others. And you know what it is it's mercy. You sit here as creatures of mercy, headed to a place you don't deserve to go. But you're going there, and it's secure. Will you give that mercy to others? Will you share that hope? to a world that's dying and spiraling out of control, will you be a herald of the mercy of God? More than restitution, you have mercy. Will you herald it under this law of God? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we indeed cannot fathom the depths of your character, your mercy on us. Lord, under the laws, we look at the particulars of your law, we're reminded, Father, of all the things we cannot do, but all the things that we are declared in Christ, and that is righteous, forgiven, made right and whole. God, we can only cry out in worship and praise. Thank you, Lord, all the things we've done, all the sin, but yet, as you always do, Father, you grant us mercy. We love you. We thank you. Help us to dispense that mercy today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.